Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 216 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I am excited to introduce you to Vicki Ellie, Arden's mom. And I really do not want to give too much of an introduction today because we go way too far over. But know that you will love her and that she is awesome. And that even though her son Arden only lived 20 hours, she made the most of that time and is really an inspiration to all of us in the months that have passed since Arden's death. So right now, just sit back and enjoy listening to Vicki Ellie, Arden's mom. Thank you so much, Vicki Ellie, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Hi, thank you, Marcy. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity that I have to be in on this space and to talk about my baby. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm excited to have you in this space, too. You know, for those of you that watch the video, which aren't that many, but for those of you that do, you know, now I am in Andy's room. So we really, truly are in Andy's space right now, complete with all his baseball things and just all his stuff. So that's a <laughs> comfort to me. And it does bring you all really, truly into Andy's space when we're doing the podcast. <laughs> so, Nikki Ellie, I am excited to hear about your little baby, Arton. Oh, my God. I would love for you to start talking about him. I cannot stop talking about him. <laughs> I Good. so my sweet, sweet baby Arden, 2021 October, I got the positive pregnancy test that we were hoping for. And I was just floating in air so happy. Like I was just ready to buy everything baby related on Amazon yeah. and anything. First baby for you? First pregnancy? or It's actually my second. I do have a nine-year-old boy, Jorge, which okay. is, oh my God, he's my sunshine. His dad and I separated early on. But that's a big gap between the two. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That was my biggest scare, actually. <laughs> when we found out, I've been with my partner for about three and a half years now. And yeah, when we got the pregnancy test being positive, we were both like, because his daughter is 11 now. Uh huh. So we were like, oh, my God, how do you potty train a human again? <laughs> You know, we were just having all all the questions in the world. We felt like we were going to be brand new parents again, for sure. Right, right. So we were just happy and excited. And I remember my husband, you know, he kept telling me every couple of days when I would come with my Amazon list full of stuff, he's like, let's just wait, babe, you know, let's just take it easy. We can always or buy whatever later. He was like, he always had a feeling that something wasn't right. And to me, it's just 
amazing to witness that connection that a dad had with his baby because his connection with Arden was just impressive. You know, he will put his hand on my stomach and Arden was just wouldn't stop jumping up and down. It was to me the best feeling. Really? It was impressive. So I remember at our 20 week ultrasound, we went for the anatomy scan. I see that the technician is kind of taking her time and she will measure a femur and then go back to the heart and measure something else and go back to the heart. And, you know, I'm a nurse. It's not that I know that much about that specifically, but to me, that was kind of odd. And an ultrasound that I have done before, you know, for my other child that took 20 minutes, we were there for longer than an hour. Yeah. So to me, it was kind of weird. And then, of course, the doctor comes in and he's like, listen, I'm very concerned. This baby has a condition that we call hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which recently you had a mom talk about that condition. And to me, that, that episode was so special. Yeah. So we were expecting a child with a heart condition. And also Mm -hmm. he had a missing limb, like he was born like with three quarters of his forearm, but he didn't have his hand. And then the right hand, he did his fingers were like very little. So he had some birth defects that we were aware they were coming. Of course, all the doctor's appointments started, we were seeing cardiologists and surgeons and Oh my God, I had so many appointments. It was so overwhelming. But pretty much in all the appointments, they were like, listen, uh, yes, he does have hypoplastic left heart syndrome, but this is a condition that is pretty common nowadays. And for Mm -hmm. every complication, we have a solution. So of course, that kept our hopes up. We were, of course, worried, but we were at the same time grateful that that was the case mm-hmm. the rest of the pregnancy every ultrasound they're like he's doing just fine he looks like he's jumping up and down he's growing his circulation looks like it's still moving so things are going how they're supposed to everything's gonna be great yeah so yeah june 12th was a sunday all that day i had diarrhea all night long so I was like, okay, let me take a COVID test just be, just in case, because of course, everything we would think at that time was COVID. Right. Um, my COVID test came back negative, but then I called my provider and they're like, well, you should come just to check on you because, you know, you already ha- have a high risk pregnancy. We would like to just you to come in to check what's going on. Yeah. Because how many weeks were you at that point? At that point, I was 39 weeks. I, my uh, oh, C-section yeah. okay. was scheduled like four days after that. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking I'm just going for a regular checkup. Yeah. We went to the hospital and then they still did a COVID test and they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's positive. You have COVID. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, no problem. My blood pressure was also a little bit elevated and they were proteins in my urine. So they decided to do the C-section that night as an emergency. Of course, I was freaking out because <laughs> I was right. not expecting that to happen that soon. You know, when you have a planned C-section date, you're ready for that day. You're not ready for any day yeah. before that. <laughs> like, that's the birthday. That's just what it's going to be. Right. We had this planned out already. <laughs> we went to the hospital. They decided to do the C-section that, that night. He was born at 9.19 p.m. He waited 
7 pounds, 14 ounces, 21 inches. So adorable. Cutest baby ever. <laughs> but there were a lot of complications during that C-section. The physician ended up to having to use a vacuum because they couldn't get the baby out. And there were three pop-ups from that vacuum. Oh. So... Yeah, unfortunately, when he was born, I'm pretty sure you understand this, his APGAS score was at 1 out of 10, meaning he was, yeah. he only had a faint heartbeat, but they, the ICU team they had in the room were able to intubate him and bring him back. So that's the long story short of what happened in that OR. Wow. Not when you envisioned at all? Not at all. No. I mean, no. we were already prepared for a very difficult road ahead because the doctors were sure honest. They're like, listen, this is a this is doable. Like we have a lot of elderly, you know, older patients with a condition that have survived. Mm -hmm. It's a condition that requires many surgeries, but it is doable and he's gonna be fine. So all this time we were ready for that, but ne never ready for what really happened. Right. You were ready for a really long, drawn out journey, right? I mean, that's what you're ready for. I was ready to quit my job and be my baby's full-time caregiver. Right. Because with the condition and everything, you know, the doctors were, of course, honest with all that, that could have happened. And they're like, listen, if your baby doesn't eat in the hospital, he might need a peck tube or a NG tube for you to feed him at home. I'm like, I'm a nurse. I've done that a thousand times. It's not a problem. Right. So I yeah. was ready to be my son's nurse, <laughs> but I was right. just not ready at all for what really happened. Yeah. So Arding, like I said, he was intubated. He was brought to the ICU. You know, we're waiting to hear from the doctor what's going to happen um, when they come back to my room. Because I was, of course, in, in recovery after that surgery, after the C-section. They're like, listen, there's nothing we can do about his heart because he has too much brain damage. Wow. Right. And to me, honestly, till this day, I keep replaying those words in my mind and they still sound so scary. Yeah. You know, they're like, for his heart, there's nothing we can do because his brain is gone. So we're keeping him comfortable until you guys are ready to go and spend time with him. So, of course, I was like, I'm ready right now. Take me over there. Yeah. With my legs numb that, of course, I couldn't do anything after the C-section, but I was ready. So when the time came, we went upstairs and we spent some time with him. Of course, at that moment, I'm a patient. I'm a mom. I'm not really registering that much. But the nurse in me was still looking for signs of what's going on. And he was cyanotic. He was very, very blue. His SATs yeah. never came up from 50%. Wow. You know, his vitals were just not good. But then the next day, after many, many hours of, you know, being there, spending time with him, I had my family, my husband's family, they came over and spent time with us. We were very hopeful because we have a lot of faith in God. Yeah. So around noon, when the doctor tells us, listen, you guys have to consider signing a DNR order and then just consider disconnecting him from life support there's just nothing that we can do at this point 
So we decided to wait. We're like, listen, I understand everything you say, every word, but we feel like we want to give God a chance if it's in his plans Mm -hmm. to make a miracle happen. Mm -hmm. So we decided to wait until 9 p.m. I remember. But then as I keep spending time with my son and just watching him and, and just enjoying being with him yeah around 4 p.m i decided this this is that this is it his suffering you can see the change in his color you can see that he is getting a little bit more swelled up and i don't want that i don't want my son you know i feel like he's suffering enough right now being intubated with so many lines coming out of everywhere that was just heartbreaking to me as a mom and as a nurse too you know I I didn't want my kid to go through that so we made the call to sign the DNR and you know extubate him but you know being people of faith we actually had the blessing that a minister was there that day and we were able to baptize him and it was the quickest baptism you could ever because he was decompensating so fast that the doctor was like listen we have to do this now if we want to hold him if you want to spend time with him because all this time i didn't hold him he's in a in a bed with all that stuff connected to him so we made the call and 5 23 p.m arden died in my hands and he's his dad hands as hard and heartbreaking as it was I thank God every day for that chance because I think if if my son was going to pass away in all those machines without mom even holding him I think it was gonna be way worse for me yeah it was gonna be way worse So it's my blessing and my curse right. that I still replay in my mind very often his two last, last breaths. But also the miracle of seeing his face in peace yeah. was something that I'm always, always going to cherish and I'll remember it forever. And it actually makes me want to be a better human every day and a better Christian because I want to go with my son one day. And in order to do that, I have to make sure that I'm a good person and I'm doing the right thing for everyone. That's just beautiful. It's just, it's changed me so much, Marcy, because... You know, I'm a nurse. I care for people at heart. That's that's my calling, and it's what I love to do. But now I want to help people in a different way. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain. Like, even if I see a homeless person in the street, I will give you, you need the jacket that I have on here, have it. It's, you know, I'm always, and it's not because I want to be this martyr or the best person ever in the world but i just have that need to help yeah it is hard to explain isn't it it is because it isn't that it isn't that at all it isn't that you want 
to be a martyr or right. like you say, it's, it truly is that you just have a deeper compassion for other people who are hurting, yep. you know? And that happened very, very quick after Arden passed away. Cause you know, he was probably going to be a NICU baby for a long time. You know, I was wait, I was expecting him not to come home for like a month or two um, after the first surgeries. So I was already, I already made my mind that I wanted to pump and donate breast milk while my baby was in the hospital and he couldn't be fed. So I said, you know, I can always pump and donate it to other babies. And that way I keep up my supply for when Arding is ready. Mm -hmm. So when I came home, when I was discharged from the hospital, I immediately went and grabbed my breast pump and started pumping. I pumped uh, breast milk for three beautiful months, and I was able to donate almost 800 ounces up to the breast milk bank. Yes, which is, again, I, I feel so blessed for that opportunity, but I did not do it for myself. I did it because yeah. I wanted that to be part of Arden's legacy or gift to those babies. Right. And it was really hard. You don't know how many friends, of course, especially females, that they're like, what are you doing? Because of course, I'm going to start pumping. Now, every time I go out, I need to bring my pump with me or I need to make sure I pump it before I leave the house because if not, they're going to get full. Like it was a lot of work, but it was so worth it. And I would do it a thousand times again if I could. That's just amazing. That's amazing. Because that had to have some emotional, that had to be emotionally difficult at times to do. <laughs> I would think. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm here right. staring at my body that is so ready to feed a baby, but I don't have that baby with me. It was, yeah. it was very, it was a lot of mixed emotions, very mixed emotions. And then, of course, all the extra stuff of having, to take care, watch what I eat, um, watch which medications can I take or not, because I'm donating this breast milk for fragile babies. And they give you a list of medications you can take or the ones you cannot take. So it was it was a lot of work. But at the time, it was definitely worth it. And it kept me busy, which is definitely a, a coping mechanism. It's probably yeah, not sure. the best, and I know that we shouldn't be re- using it that much. But well, there are a lot worse coping me- mechanisms you could use than pumping breast right. milk, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely no. And I was—I always joke. I'm a very boring person. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't go out. I'm home, and I was just pumping. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. But yeah, it was very rewarding. It's so funny because I've just had two conversations with teenagers in the last week about how smoking marijuana is not a good coping mechanism for your anxiety. And let's come up with some different coping mechanisms. I'm not going to be able to give them breastfeeding for one. But <laughs> no, 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 please, no. <laughs> no, that that's not going to work for them. But yeah. you certainly can come up with something healthier than smoking marijuana. Right. There's probably yeah. a thousand other things you can do. <laughs> Yes, yes. How about going on a walk? 
listening to music. <laughs> Let's try other things to go. Yeah, or crafting. That that's one that I'm actually been loving lately. Crafting is my new my new jam. <laughs> it's my new thing. Oh good. So this all happened now in June of last year. Yes. Right? So talk about your grief journey and your your kind of life since then and what you've done. I know the podcast became a little bit of a fairly early on, you said. Listen, Marcy, I loved it so much. And I will tell you, my very first episode is the first one with your husband. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite because I felt so identified, especially with most of your words. Because, you know, I was looking for other podcasts and other options and everything is like, you know, encouraging you and everything's going to be fine. Let's meditate. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. And then I go to your podcast and it's like, listen, this sucks. And you know what? It does. And that's how I felt. I'm like, and I do remember there was someone that approached me and they were like, oh, but at least now you have an angel up in heaven. Well, I don't want an angel up in heaven. No, I want my baby with me. That's where he's supposed to be. I'm his mom, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. and there were a lot of, of just weird comments like that. And that's why I love the podcast definitely immediately. And I still listen e every week. I'm keeping an eye on what's coming next. And I have my husband hooked on it too. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, Yes, I send it to him. I'm like, you should listen at least to, to ones from the dads because I feel like there's not that much out there for dads so no there is not there's and my husband has been extremely supportive and we definitely are grieving together this yeah. situation just like in your case and I'm very glad with that they it brought us so much more together now mm -hmm. so for that I'm grateful but the journey has been just life alterating in every sense that you can imagine when I had Arding, I was a nurse at a ambulatory surgery center. I started doing pre-op and recovery. Then eventually I got trained to be circulator, which is, you know, you work in the OR with the doctors. That's in the OR, yeah. yeah. Kind of like Grace Anatomy, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> My husband does that every day, right? He's an anesthesiologist, so oh, he works cool. with the circulator nurse every every day and does surgery centers I mean like probably over half the time he's in surgery centers yeah. so mm -hmm. that's those are my 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 favorite ones the anesthesiologists those are the cool ones <laughs> uh, you guys are the team right we we definitely need each other yeah. we need each other in that room um but I was working there I think I was there for about three years when everything happened and I was the charge nurse at a time so you know I went in my maternity leave, which I did ended up taking the three months off. Regardless, um, I'm grateful that I was able to do that. But then when I came back, it was so uncomfortable. And there were a lot of flashbacks and situations that happened that just brought me back to that OR. And I left in tears a lot of times. Yeah. There was also... Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, there was one day uh, one of our pediatric patients was having heart problems and I had 
to leave. Like I had to leave and then just go to the doctor's lounge, lock the door and cry my heart out with actually one of the anesthesiologists and one of our GI doctors that were there in that room. I had a good relationship with them and I just, I, I couldn't. I just started crying like crazy and you know, they were there for me, which I'm so grateful for them. Um, but I just couldn't do their job. I know my husband, my husband going back to work, it was, you know, he was worried. Like the last airway he had oh, my. secured had been my son's on the side of the road. Like, oh, wow. How do I do that again? Is it going to feel different now? I mean, you know, it's because he was the one wow. trying to get him back and doing all that work. And then, then again, for a while, they just put him in a, in a surgery center, in a plastic surgery mm -hmm. center, actually. So he just had adults just trying to shelter him as much as possible. And then when he, the first time he had to do a kid again, again, it was, how is this going to be? Yeah. Am I even going to be able to do this or not? Cause it's just, it just changes everything mm -hmm. when you suddenly have these memories of, of your own child, right? It's, it's extremely hard and I tried to do it. I actually stayed yeah. there for like another nine months or so. But, you know, I recognized that I was not doing probably the best job because a lot of times I just had to excuse myself, leave the room, get someone to cover for me and leave for the day. And I understood that's not fair yeah. for my coworkers too, because, you know, you know we're, we are working all as a team. The situation that happened mm -hmm. to me does not mean I'm not part of that team and that coverage and that yeah. effort that's needed for another life that's when I got yeah. kind of scared and I said no I cannot keep doing this anymore so I decided to transition to a different job which is the one that I'm doing now doing triage from home which it's definitely given me the the quiet and the calm and the stability to to deal with myself because I'm still going through so much Marcy I for sure you know, I just, I think back even myself, you know, I, I tried to go back to work. I went back to work. I cried between every single patient mm -hmm. and I would have certain ones that would come in. And, you know, I remember once towards the end, cause I, I went back for maybe six or eight weeks mm -hmm. and I got towards the end and I had a kid coming in and they, they all fill out surveys ahead of time. And on the survey, the mom had wanted to talk about the fact that this four-year-old wouldn't stay in his own bed at night and would come and wake the parents up in the, in the night. And obviously that's annoying and hard, mm -hmm. but I like just start crying because all I can think of is how I wish my son could come in my room in the middle of the night. Yeah. Right. And like, I can't do this. I realize like I cannot have a conversation about, this right now yeah. and about strategies to keep this kid in his own bed at night when all I can think of is how you know I'm thinking of the nights that Andy would wander into her room in the middle of the night and how I just wanted that back so badly and I thought I just can't do this I can't I'm not going to because I was doing a fairly good job at keeping it together in the room and then I'd cry after and then I'd get myself back together and go in the next room. And like, 
I can't have this conversation without crying. So I had to have one of my partners go in and see that kid. Mm -hmm. And then it, it just kind of hit me that like, I just can't keep doing this. I can't, I can't cry after every patient. I'm not giving them the best care. Yeah. I'm not. Exactly. I, my brain felt like it was in a fog. I was forgetting names of medication and having to ask yeah. my MA what names of medications were that I've prescribed for 15 years with no problem. And now I can't remember the name. I mean, and yes, and just I feel like my counseling is not the same. It's just I was having a hard time. At that point in time, I was having a hard time just with seeing whole families and seeing mm -hmm. people come in with relatively minor complaints when I'm like feeling my life is crashing around, you know, it just, I just couldn't do it then. Mm -hmm. It's it, those, well, for me, at least I would say those first like six months were just so confusing. I was actually talking yeah. about it with my husband yesterday. I'm like, I don't know where time has gone. I don't remember what happened. Like I'm I'm pretty OCD and organized with my stuff. If you ask me what I did yesterday at what time, I probably remember. So yeah. Going back to a mindset where I could not remember anything. Yeah. Yeah. I felt it's it's hard, isn't it? Oh my God. I felt like I'm I'm good for nothing. Like I can do anything. Yeah. I burned oh. so many meals. Yeah, I'm like that too. My, you know, my husband always said, like, my mind was a steel trap. Like, I, I remember everything. This was not, I, I just wasn't the kind of person that would forget. And now suddenly, I can't trust my own memory and my own mind. Yes. And that's something that's not been an issue for me before, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. It's, it was, it's hard to take. And I think it's why, you know, a few months in, I, really had kind of come to the conclusion I was going crazy. Yeah. I was losing my mind. I That's what you think. Like maybe I should go into a psychiatric hospital. I don't think this is normal what I'm going through. I'm I mean I really didn't. It's it's not that I'm like saying that lightly. I was saying that in all seriousness. Yeah. I went to my therapist and I actually got up the courage after weeks and weeks of thinking it of saying I think I'm losing my yeah. mind. I think I am going crazy and I think maybe something's going to have to be done. And it was the biggest relief in the world when she said to me, you're not going crazy, you're grieving and it's normal. And I was like, oh. I mean, what a sigh of relief because it took a lot for me to say yeah. it <laughs> and admit it. And now just that reassurance that this is just a normal process mm -hmm. and the mind will start to come back. And she had said to me too, she had said to me before this, but I think she said it again that day. And if you want to go back, because this, of course, by this time, I'm not working. If you want to go back, we will get you there. If you don't want to go back and you want to do something else, okay. Right. But if you want to, you can and we can. And that just gave me some hope, you know? That's great. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also that alternative that, you know, yeah, you were this person, but your life has changed. If you don't want to be that person anymore, we can do something else. Yeah. I feel like that's so yeah. valuable. And I wish someone had said, had said that to me because I do feel guilty sometimes. You know, I had a great career in um, surgery and I wanted to keep, you know, building that career up. And then I just suddenly had to stop and go do somewhere else, something else. And... 
I it, sometimes you do feel a little bit guilty. At least I do. I'm like right because you just I'm like I could have just maybe figure it out, wait a little longer, and stay there. And my career was just gonna keep soaring, but you know, got me took took me some somewhere else, and and that's okay. Right, and that's fine. And, and honestly, it's a beautiful thing you're doing now. So t- tell the audience what you are doing now. Yes, yeah, so I actually uh, work for Nurse Triage now for a big hospital here in Florida. Um, basically, patients call us with their concerns and their problems, and we find the right level of care for them. If it's booking an appointment or sending them to an urgent care clinic, emergency room, call 911 for them, whatever they, it is that they need. Uh, we work for adults now, but in February, we're hoping to start working with pediatric patients too. So that's very exciting and, you know, keeps me using my knowledge and all my skills because I do have a 10-year career as a nurse that I've learned a lot from. So I'm glad that even though I did have to switch from the OR to do triage now, I am using my skills and keep helping people. Well, and and I love that you're doing that too. So I was telling you before we started recording that all of our triage nurses at my office now since COVID are all doing this from home and Mm -hmm. it's been beautiful for them to do it from home. Yeah. It's just, it's nice. It feels comfortable. And being a triage nurse is not an easy job. And I know this from taking pediatric calls, like in the middle of the night, which I do. (laughs) Oh, wow. From parents who are worried and from people who are worried. When you call in, you're worried. And so I think it's a beautiful use of your compassion Mm -hmm. because you really have to have a lot of compassion when you're on the phone with someone to try to give. It's a balance of giving reassurance and comfort and the proper amount of concern. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's because the tricky. You can't, because <laughs> they do not want to feel like their problems are being blown off. Mm-hmm. But they also want somebody to to tell them, I think it's going to be okay. Like, we're going to get you this help that you need. Mm-hmm. But it, everything is going to be okay. So I, I think it's a beautiful thing that you're doing right now. Yeah. It's been very rewarding. And, and, and it may be right. Yeah. And it may be that this will be your track. Yeah from here until you retire absolutely maybe that it won't be and that's fine I, I mean that's that's the thing too I definitely learned that no matter what I am going to be okay I always tell my husband I've survived the worst day of my life I feel like Wonder Woman now I can survive anything yes it's gonna be hard yes I'm gonna struggle because I do struggle with a lot of anxiety yeah me, my problem right now it's anxiety and it's debilitating to the point that I feel like I'm being choked all the time. Yeah. And by the end of the day, I'm just exhausted. So I'm working with my therapist to find good medication treatment right now because I feel like I need it to help myself. But it's a learning curve, I guess, because I've ha- I've seen so many providers. You know, I've been to an office recently where the provider told me, oh, yeah, that's the rest of your life. You're just going to have to learn to live with it. And I got turned down. Yeah. And then finally, now I, f- I found another provider who was like, listen, what you live through is very traumatic. Yes. And I am so sorry. And you don't know how much those words meant to me. I immediately started crying because I felt like, wow, finally someone sees this for what it is. And not just someone, an actual 
psychiatrist because I've had psychiatrists, like I said, just turn me down and tell me, like, here's the list of providers you can call if you need a therapist and just call me if you need me any, if you need anything. So it's it feels really good to finally find someone that's willing to help me. Right. It's been very hard to find help. Right. Well, in what you're describing, too, when you described what happened in the OR, those kind of flashbacks, really. I mean, you're describing symptoms of having PTSD. Yeah. And that's and, and you need help to try to get through that. Right. Sure. And, and, you know, I totally understand the part that this is the rest of our life. We are I feel like yes. I'm going to grieve forever. And that's okay. Um, We actually went to a support group where it was not just for parents who have lost a child. It was for just grieving families. And I could definitely feel the difference when you're talking about your child versus a different family member. Like everyone was like, I don't want to be sad anymore, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, if I have to be sad just a little bit sad every day for the rest of my life, that's okay. Because that sadness comes from the humongous love I have for my child and that I miss him and that he's not here with me. Mm -hmm. That's where that sadness is coming from. So if I have to be sad for the rest of my life, I'm okay with that. And it's not sad that I'm going to be miserable in my room because I do a lot of things. Yes. I go to church. I try to be active with my kid. I, of course, have a billion <laughs> errands to run and I make sure I go grocery shopping, things like that. You know, I, I, I'm very functional, but there's always a little bit of me that it doesn't matter how happy I am. I'm going to be sad. Right. Right? I mean, you can hold sadness and joy at the same time. Absolutely. These are not things that you can't hold together. It seems like you shouldn't be able to, but you absolutely can. And you and I will forever. Exactly. Because all of that joy that we have, there'll be a little bit of us wishing that our boys were there too. Yep. And a little bit of us that are going to be sad with that. It's just, it's been definitely a lot of mixed emotions because actually last week we got the call because we ordered the headstone for our baby a a long time ago. I think it was back in March and they told us it was going to be, take about eight months to uh, be installed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're like, okay. So last week we finally got the call. Actually, it only took six months for them that the headstone was installed, that we could go and check it out. And I was very excited about it because I would always call Arding my teddy bear because when he was born, that baby had so much hair, so much dark hair. (laughs) So I would call him my teddy bear. (laughs) So we actually ordered the stone with a teddy bear on it. So when the, the company called me to let me know it was installed, I got so happy, but like immediately so sad like yeah this is not the call any mom deserves to get no this is not the call I wanted to get I don't even want to be happy about this but at the same time you know I I know my son got the headstone he deserves yeah and I'm just so happy about it yeah I know so it's a constant world of mixed emotions 
Like I have, for example, my son has a recital at school and I go to his school to see him and all I can think is if Arden was here. Yeah. You know, I take my son to school every morning and all I can think about is if Arden was here, I was probably going to have to get my kid in the car and then the car seat. And, you know, it's just you're constantly reminded of all the memories that you're not getting. Yeah. At least to me, that's the the sad and the anxious part in me. You know, those reminders. Yeah, and I want to go back to that anxiety comment that you said a little while ago. It, You know, Gwen has told me this quote before that C.S. Lewis said, I never knew how much grief felt like fear. <laughs> and that was such a shock to me. I did not expect to have as much fear as I had at the time and still have now, yeah. even five years later. It's unbelievable to me. Yeah. But it's definitely true. It's very, very true. Because you didn't have this kind of anxiety or this level of anxiety before losing Arden. I have never. Like... Um, growing up, I, I did struggle with a little bit of depression when I was younger, you know, yeah. you don't know what you're thinking, <laughs> but yeah, never, ever with anxiety. My husband does. He was diagnosed very, at a very young age with anxiety, but since he's been dealing with it, with it for so long, he already knows what works for him. So he has his yeah. under control, but then when it comes to me, I don't. I, I usually what when it happens, I just call him. I'm like, babe, I feel like I'm being choked. I'm not feeling well. And he's like, okay, do this. Go to the room, light up a candle, try to relax. I'll be right there. And then usually what calms me down, it's none of that. It's just hearing that he's on his way. I'm like, if you're here, I'm okay. Yeah. Because I feel like since his anxiety comes from way back, he definitely gets me more. Yeah. So if his song is for his way, I'm okay. Yeah, that's got to be helpful. It is very, very helpful. And I'm grateful to have him. But, you know, at the same time, I would like to be at a point that I learn how to handle it myself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it hasn't happened. But right now, I'm, I'm taking medication. I have Clonazepam 0.5, just in case. Um, And I have my coping strategies. Um, Usually what has been helping me a lot is doing yoga. Mm -hmm. I am not flexible at all. So it's kind of a weird yoga. (laughs) But I love it. It really calms me down. And I usually just go to the backyard and do it outdoors. Um, Crafting helps me a lot. I recently learned how to crochet. So I've been making little... Amigurumi, are they called those little dolls? <laughs> oh, so, you know, I've been trying to to learn new things. I had some leftover breast milk too, because I couldn't donate it. And um, because I took a contrast for a CAT scan at that time. So they told me I couldn't donate that milk. Okay. So I kept it and I made soaps. I looked up how to make soaps and I made soaps with breast milk. <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm just always looking for something small to make me feel like I have accomplished something. 
I don't know if, if, if you get that, but Oh, I totally get it. Totally do. Like the little craft projects like that, that I can have ready on any day. I'm like, Hey, I did something today. It feels so good. Mm -hmm. I made, what else have I made? I, I've, I've done so many crafts and hobbies that I picked up because it, it's just to make me feel productive, I guess. Because energy to do house chores, for example, a lot of times it's just not there. Yeah. And it's just hard to function the way I used to function before. So I feel like this year has been a lot of discovering the person that I am now. And yes. what do I enjoy to do now? Because it's very different from what I used to enjoy. Like, I, I definitely look at the person I was before, and we're two different people. And actually, not too long ago, I read a quote somewhere that it, it really blew my mind because I remember it vividly. The moment, the first time I looked myself in a mirror after Arden died, I did not recognize who was there. I did not who that person was. It was such a weird feeling to me, but I remember it vividly at the hospital in the bathroom when I went to take a shower. I looked myself in the mirror. I'm like, who's that? So I, I knew it was changed forever. I knew it was changed forever. And in some good ways though, right? I mean, in some ways, yeah. No, definitely. That's the thing. I. Yeah. I, I am able to see the blessings in between all the tragedy and the chaos. Because, for example, before we disconnected Arden from life support, you know, I was just there touching his hair and playing with his little black curls who were just so adorable. And I was just, you know, enjoying my baby. And even though he was not moving at all, he was just not moving, not doing anything. He was sedated because he was intubated, but he opened his eyes for me. Oh. And I saw those black, gorgeous, just shiny, beautiful eyes that looked at me. And I was in shock. I'm like, he opened his yeah. eyes for me. And my husband, what a gift. yes, my husband was there. And my sister-in-law, Carla, who is so special to me. And after that moment, even more. Because I tell her all the time, I'm like, Arden, I open his eyes for us. Like, you're part of this now. <laughs> you're part of right? me now. She knows. I, I love her so much. But there were a lot of beautiful moments in the midst of everything. Yeah. You know, even at the funeral, having family come together and see so many people that loved us and supported us it was a blessing mm -hmm. you know after that we were home and i was miserable for a long time but still having people that loved us around us was a blessing right right just having them show up absolutely even when you are in your pain and not seeming like you're that responsive right yes and oh my god my co-workers they were amazing at the surgery center they actually made like a food train i had food here all the time thanks to them yeah how long did you have food 
Oh my God, there was so much food for like a month. But I was grateful. I'm like, because yeah. my, my grandmother came to stay with me to help take care of me because I had an inverted TC section. So my recovery was ugh, uh-huh. not fun. Yeah. When my grandmother was here, I'm like, Grandma, well, now you don't have to cook. Lucky you. Because <laughs> there was so much yeah. food coming. And, you know, there was such a big blessing at that time in our lives. It's so funny because when people don't know what to do, they just bring you food. Right. And I don't <laughs> mind. I like to eat. So <laughs> I was like, keep it coming. It was good. Yeah. No. And, and of course, the house was full all the time with people. So I was like, okay, you guys want to eat? There's a lot of food. <laughs> so that was definitely a blessing, you know, to bring people together. The nurses at the surgery center, because since I had COVID and I was discharged and still not feeling that great. You know, they will come here and give me IV fluids and medication, whatever I needed from the surgery center. I just had to make a call. (laughs) So I am very, very grateful for all the love that we received from from so many, you know, from our church family, from our blood family, our friends, everyone. We just became a really big family. And every time I pray, since there are so many names, I just tell God, please bless everyone that has been there for me and for my family. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how that love gets you through. Yeah. How feeling all of that love from so many different people just helps. I mean, I think about Andy's visitation and, you know, just the huge line out the door and the fact that at his funeral like people had to be turned away. There wasn't enough room and it was all because they wanted to show their love and support for Mm -hmm. us, right? All the food, all that stuff happened just because all, they all just wanted to show Mm -hmm. love and to take care of us a little bit. Yes. And it was, it was very, humbling for me to accept that love and and all the affection and the food and and everything for me it's just it also kind of opened my eyes because of course we complain so much that this world is lost and that there's so many bad things happening but there's also a lot of love and a lot of good things happening at the same time yes yes a lot a lot and I don't think people realize how hard it is for a grieving person to ask for help you know like you had mentioned even your doctor saying okay well give me a call if you need something like you're never gonna call that never your doctor has to say okay I'm going to check in with you next week and see how you are doing okay it has to come that way because you're not going to pick up the phone call back what did you do you're like okay well forget you you don't really Mm -hmm. care i'm gonna have to try to find somebody else and and that's not what they meant really i'm sure Mm -hmm. they thought oh if if she needs something she'll call no she won't no she won't and that's just like all of these people that showed up and gave you food they just brought food Mm -hmm. now would it have been better? Maybe had it been spread out a little bit? Sure. But they just showed up and brought stuff to show you that they loved you. Yeah. And that they wanted to support you. And they felt horrible that this was happening to you. Yeah. And that's what we need. And of course, the message is, you know, now I understand. And of course, I had COVID too. So I understood why some people were kind of a little bit more further 
or, or maybe not showing yeah. up, which is fine. But honestly, just receiving a text message, hey, I'm thinking about you. I love you, whatever. You know, you don't even have to try to cheer me up. That's another thing. Right. And it's fact. It's better if you don't. Right. right. Don't Again, don't tell me I, I mean, have an angel in heaven. I don't want an angel right. in heaven. I don't. And she was trying to make you feel better. Like, please don't try to make me feel better. This is just a really, really awful thing. And when you try to make me feel better, it actually makes me feel worse. Because now I feel bad that I don't feel that way. Now I feel guilty that there is not even a little bit of me that would rather have an angel in heaven than have my baby here. So now, like, thanks for that. That didn't make me feel better. It really, truly, honestly made me feel worse. (laughs) And there's another one that... I would say it's probably the top on my least favorite because it makes me feel terrible. And it's a parent or a mom that will come and tell me, you know, I'm sorry about what happened. I don't know how you're even handling this. Handling this. If it was me, I would probably just be in a corner crying or will probably kill myself yeah. already. I'm like, okay so I'm not grieving enough then enough for you yes I know and that's not what they mean at all but that is what it feels like what it feels like is you're clearly not doing it right because if it was me I would be so much worse than you because I love my baby so much (laughs) right I mean it blows my mind that's what it comes off as and no one knows that's what it comes off as absolutely that's why I you know, I tell my husband, and I actually share it on the support group a lot too. I've learned not to take comments personal because if I am, you know, my circle is already like this little, like I don't really have a big support yeah. system. I'm not going to have anybody because every every right. comment that you... If everybody who says something stupid listen, now has to leave your support circle, there's no one left. The circle's no gone. The circle's just me. <laughs> the circle's gone because even our husbands say stupid stuff, right? Uh, all the time. Of course they do. Right. Yes. <laughs> my, my dear, dear friend, Michelle, who I love, <laughs> right? And who has said the most wonderful things. I, I saying all the time, I just gave a talk to somebody and I said one of the best things she would ever say to me was I would say to her, Michelle, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. No. I would say that to her all the time. I can't do this. And her response back, Every single time was she would come out, she would hold my hand and she would say, Marcy, you are doing this. God bless her. And that's what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. I needed her to hear say, you are doing this because I am. I am. Yep. And even if all I did that day was brush my mm-hmm. teeth, I'm doing it. Right. I'm doing something. I'm talking to her. I'm doing something. And so that was what a great reminder that and that's all she would say to me was, you are doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. But even she said, has said stupid stuff. I mean, she, on the day of the funeral, she prayed that the funeral would be God honoring and bring more people to Jesus. And <laughs> I thought, I don't care about that right now. I don't. Right. I don't. And if it does, that's a great perk, whatever. That's a nice bonus. But that's not why we're doing the funeral today. I am not doing the funeral to save somebody else's soul. Right. I'm doing the funeral to honor my own son. Like, oh that was a God. dumb thing to say. And, and I... I don't think I told her that day, but I think I told her by the next mm-hmm. day. I was said, Michelle, I'm 
I know that your heart was in the right place when you said that, but please never say something like that to me again because it actually made me upset because that's not the goal of that mm-hmm. day. And th- that's the beauty of having a good friend that you can actually say, hey, that was really a not the right thing to say. <laughs> Absolutely. But you have to, it, there are only a few people that you can do that yeah. with. Because you have to do and do it in a way of love. Like, please just don't do that again. I know that's not what you meant, but hey. Yep. So those comments that you're talking about too, like to some people, you may be able to say, okay, you know what that did to me when you said that? That made me feel like this. And they'll be, oh my word, that's not what I meant at all. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. We, we recently had a, a good friend in our, in our grieving circle who lost a second son Aww. and she was saying, I don't know how I can do this. And I, I was trying to offer her encouragement. And of course, as a group, we're all saying to each other, I don't know how I could do that again. I don't think I could do that again. But you don't tell that person that because that person needs to hear encouragement. You are yeah. going through and you've done this before. You can do it again. Mm-hmm. And as much as none of us want to do it again, and we're all terrified that it could ever happen again. When it's happening, you need somebody to be there to encourage you and say, mm-hmm. you are. Keep going. You're making yeah. it. Not, not, if it was me, I'd be horrible. <laughs> not helpful. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I definitely feel like, and I include myself because, of course, we all do it at some point. But yeah. um, we just don't really think it through. Because <laughs> I kept just thinking, okay, what's this person expecting me to say back? Like, right. okay, I'm going to go to the corner and start screaming now then. Like, yeah, okay. I don't know. <laughs> right. Is that what you want me to do? Right. <laughs> because, and and what, they really mean that they think you're like doing amazing. Right. But that's not what we want to hear either. I don't want to hear that I'm doing amazing. Right. And that's another thing. Because, because then if, if, if they act like I'm super strong and amazing, I think the reason they do it is because inwardly they don't know what to do and they don't want to have to help us. And if they're thinking in their mind, look, she's doing okay. (laughs) She's doing way better than I could. And I'm not even doing anything to help. So that, that gets them off the hook a little bit to have to do more, Uh you know, in their own mind, because they think you're doing way better than they could do. So you must not need my help. You don't need me. You don't need me. Exactly. Right. You don't need me. And and I think that's why they're doing it because in their own mind, they're trying to talk themselves out of having that responsibility to do Mm -hmm. more for you. But in all actuality, that's what we need. We need a tribe of people to just do a ton Mm -hmm. for us because we can't do it. Because we can't. And we are weak and we're a mess and we're not strong. And Uh, I'm fine with not being strong. I'm fine with it. That's the thing. That's another one that every time someone tells me, oh, you're being so strong. I'm I'm so proud of you. I'm like, I'm not strong. You don't know what I go through every day with this anxiety. And yeah. then yeah. at night I can't sleep and I wake up with these flashbacks. And it, that's not strong. And again, like you say, no. I'm not strong, but it's fine. I'm figuring this out and right, I'll, right. I'll be okay. I'm fine not being strong. Right. I'm trying to figure out things, but. If I was, I mean, I can't even imagine if I was strong enough to go through this without help. I don't think I'd want to be. No. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be the same person I am Mm-mm. for sure. No. No. It's okay to need help. 
it's okay to need help and it's good yes and and at the end of the day god created us to to be in community so i feel like that help is needed and appreciated and like i said yeah there's comments that people say that i'm like but i just i've learned not to take them personal and just like you were saying just okay well thank you and then i'll just come back home and laugh about it with my husband Right. Look what so-and-so said. And maybe there'll be a day you can correct them. I mean, maybe there will be. Yeah, definitely. But you can only correct certain people. Right. That's for sure. That is the thing. And yeah. and since definitely my circle is small, but they all know what's up. <laughs> I I I yeah. don't correct people as much. I'm like, they'd say whatever. I'm like, okay, thank you. That's fine. <laughs> and you know what's beautiful? Maybe some of those people are going to listen to the podcast and now they'll hear you telling me all of this and they'll be like, oh, I'm not going to say that to her anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. No, and definitely that's That's what we're going to hope for. That's definitely, I feel, one of the, the the big achievements of the podcast, which is educating people because definitely this subject is very taboo. People are uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, no one wants to hear me talk about my dead son. No. And, you know, I remember in the surgery center, I was actually going through my pregnancy with another coworker. She actually left like a month before I had Arden. And then when we came back after our maternity leave, she's talking about her baby and this and that. And then I'll talk about my baby because I enjoyed my baby. I enjoyed my pregnancy and I enjoyed in a way that little bit of time that I had with him. But the moment I will say something about arting, like I would see how people get uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, that's why I understand that the circle of people that I have to talk about this is very small and it's nobody's fault. I don't blame it on anybody. It's, I feel like it's like now our job to keep spreading awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I actually post a lot about it on, on Facebook. Um, I've been very transparent about all the process. And when I'm sad, if I want to share a meme or whatever that I think it reflects how I feel at the moment, I'll share it. And I yeah. know people are not a fan, but I don't care because at the end of the day, I do it for myself. Because, you know, I share something that I feel it means something to me. I'm going to share it. If you don't like Mm -hmm. it, well, you can unfriend me. That's fine. (laughs) Because, (laughs) you know, it's a different life that I'm living now. I am a completely different person. And I am going to talk about my son until the day that God decides to call me to be with him. Because I'm, I'm proud of my kids. I have my nine-year-old boy Jorge who's so sweet and so smart and he's just adorable he's the love of my life and my stepdaughter Keilani which she's not here with us she lives in New Jersey but she comes and visits often and you know I live for this kid so I I talk about them and I talk about Arden too because it's part of our story. Because you're just as proud of Arden. I'm so just proud. proud. And you love him just as much. Just as much. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that he became strong to wait for me. You know, yeah. he was born in such a bad shape that 
things could have ended there. Yeah, but they didn't. But Arden was strong and Arden waited for me. And I saw him open his eyes. And waited for you to be ready, too. I love that you came to that conclusion. Because I think you told me he was 20 hours old, right, at that point? Yes, when he passed away, he was only 20 hours with us. Yeah. 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 But you got that sense of peace that this is the time. This is the time that we're going yeah. to do this. And that's nice to have had that little bit of control in a day that you've really felt like you had no control you got a little bit of I, and now that you say it like that I feel like that's exactly what it was it was the day that I had absolutely no control over anything but I did have that little bit of control of deciding when this is too much and my son should be going through this and I have accepted the fact that he's gonna go to heaven and he's going to go to heaven the right way. Uh-huh. He's going to go to heaven yeah. on mommy's arms without all these tubes. Yep. And if he was gorgeous with the tubes, without them, he looked like an angel. And, you know, that moment when he took his last breath, his face and his essence just looked in so much peace that you know after a person dies they usually do a post-mortem care which is when they bathe them they disconnect all the tubes and everything and I used to be a hospice nurse a long time ago so you know I've done that a lot of times for adults and you know when Arden passed I asked permission to the nurses I'm like can I bathe him I would like to bathe him Marcy I don't know where I got the the energy or the nothing I don't know where that idea came from in my mind but out of nowhere I was like can I bathe them and they were like of course so they got everything ready and my son who was eight at a time he was like mom I want to help you and I'm like okay if you want to be part of this we're going to do it. And he always had a therapist with him during the process. You know, the therapist from the hospital, they were great with my son. Um, so between me and my husband and my son, we bathed him. And then like right after that, I just broke down. Yeah. But I'm yeah. grateful that I had the strength to do it. I don't even know where that came from. Honestly, it was just, just a gift from God. Really, It was a gift from God. Absolutely. It was a gift yeah. from God. And I am extremely grateful for that. And I remember telling one of the chaplains at the hospital when I was being discharged, you know, now is when I have to make sure that I am a good person because I have a reason very important now to go to heaven. Yeah. And it's my son. And he's waiting for me. And my mom, because my mom passed away when I was a baby, I didn't get the chance to meet her. So when Arden took that last breath, I just gave him a kiss in the forehead. And I told him, give that kiss to grandma. And you know, now I I look back at all of that. And I don't know where I got the strength to do all of that. But you did. Well, thank you so much for sharing Arden today. It was just absolutely beautiful 
beautiful. Hi, Marcy. I thank you so much for the opportunity. Again, this is, you know, the club that none of us want to be a part of, but I am very grateful for you and for the community that you have built. And I just... And that we're in it together. Appreciate you. And God bless you and your family greatly. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.